I'm Rob, and welcome to the latest Hollowdale Media Podcast. This marks the end of the season where you can't talk about Christmas, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, this is the final, we don't speak of that again. The moment you finish listening to this podcast is the moment you can start talking about Christmas. At this I, point, I, I it's don't acceptable. know. I don't know, I feel like everyone else has started Christmas early, for depression's sake. I then... think that that's silly. People want a bit of magic. And now, after this podcast, you may have magic. Fine, okay, I'll, I'll accept I'll accept these terms. I'll accept these terms. From December the 1st, you can eat mince pies. Yeah. Because before then, it's illegal, frankly. Okay. People fine. at home, if you've eaten a mince pie, mm. you're dead to me. Uh, are we going to have an elf on the shelf? No! <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, I was I was thinking about the elf on the shelf the other day and the horrors of it. Like this, there's this weird entity that you move around the room and it listens to everything that goes on and watches you, and it reports back to uh, a deity in the north who deems whether you get gifts or are cursed. Mm. And it's just something a bit weird about it. It's like a, a Virgin Mary on the mantelpiece. It doesn't rhyme. No, Virgin Mary on the mantel. Did you ever have a manger in your house? Yeah. Well, my mum's old tradition. Oh, we're talking about Christmas. <laughs> I uh, see your cunning plan. <laughs> we'll, we'll drop that till next time. Yes. This, right, this is still November. This is still November. This so still we can talk, we can moan about the cold. Uh-huh. Which is suddenly very chilly. The, the fog outside. It's ridiculous. Fogginess. Uh, and yeah. I um I watched a hot movie where it's hot in the desert. Okay. Um, so uh, a couple of months ago, we reviewed uh, Anna Amirpour's uh, wonderful girl walks home alone at night. Yes, love that um, film. I randomly, accidentally stumbled across her uh, follow-up movie, The Bad Batch, mm. and I had n- I I it was, stuff was familiar to me throughout the film, and towards the end, I was like. This is a lot like A Girl Walks Home <laughs> right, okay. Night. This yeah, is yeah. very stylistically similar and it has a heart. There's a lot of things in it that are emotionally very similar. And then at the end, her name came up and I was like, oh my God, that's why it's so good. <laughs> yeah, um, no, Bad Batch is amazing. My brother recommended it to me when I was on a sort of uh, post-apocalyptic binge. Right. And he said, have you seen this? No. So I tracked it down. Absolutely loved it. I was shocked that it's on Netflix. It's one of the best. It's, it's right up my. It's right up my alley. It's one of the best like post-apocalyptic films I can think of. I've seen, and especially in recent years. It's just very. I just, I enjoy her movies. I enjoy the heart that comes across. Um, and it's a cannibal movie as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the protagonist is like properly eaten right at the start. Um, I feel like the only criticism I've heard against her films is that it's a little bit pretentious and hipster and I can see that more with a girl walks home alone at night yeah I don't know I, I feel like that criticism you could just switch it off though like I um, I mean especially with like the sort of nightclub scenes and the kind of uh, neon illuminous big tape deck yeah all that kind of stuff I can see why people would say uh, that but it was, I thought it was really cool I it's definitely not mumblecore which is what I think of when I think of hipster yeah I think of uh is it 500 Days of Summer? Yeah, all that stuff. <sighs> but Bad Batch is wonderful. And I remember being very surprised to see famous people turn up. Like, um, when Jim Carrey showed up. <laughs> yeah, that's I, the big one, yeah. I mean, I thought it was... It took me two scenes to go, oh my God, it's Jim Carrey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> I was kind of... I'd like to know how he stumbled across the project or how he or if, he, if she invited him or if he just somehow read the script and was delighted by it because it's such a lovely role for him to play. He's got next to no lines. What's that? He's walking around a trash heap. He's not in it that much. No. Was that um, after he went a bit mad and sort of retired from public life? 
Yes, yeah, so it was in the middle of that stage. Or maybe, maybe. it was his last, sort of on the way out, yeah. Because what was it, 2015? 16. Right. Um, Keanu Reeves in it as well. Um, Did join his wilderness years before John Wick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a really uh, great movie. I couldn't recommend it enough. She's got um, a film coming out, I don't know when, called Mona Lisa in the Blood Moon, which is a great title. So I'm very intrigued. Uh, Kate, Kate Hudson in it, I think. I'm very intrigued to see what she does next. I want yeah. her to keep making movies, keep making these sorts of movies. It's been on my radar, that, but I don't know where it's at. Maybe it's been uh, COVID. It's been covid yeah. It, yeah. It's been Ronid. Yeah, no, it's very good, very good. Uh, I've not really been watching too much. I had a bit of a creative black hole an event horizon last weekend right do you ever get these i uh i had my first weekend off in probably two months Ugh. like legit nothing to do and i sort of had this sort of mini meltdown of like i don't have a thing in front of me so yeah i had this sort of uh period of just like just reading comics Sitting in the bath, listening to music, going, I don't know what to do. And I had, so I sort of got over this, this weird hump that I developed um, for myself. And suddenly it had loads of ideas, too many ideas. Mm. Only really, I've, I've told you about a couple, but there's loads of other stuff in my head. And it's, it's quite bizarre. You tied your brain up for too long, and then you've, unt- you've undone the belt. That's now li- it's, yeah. And then it's vomited everywhere. <laughs> it's literally vomited it ideas everywhere. It's uh, it's kind of a weird sensation. Mm. It's, I'm, I'm, I feel quite lucky to have it because I don't I don't get the writer's block. What I get is uh, apathy. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, but like I know what you mean though. Like I feel at the moment, obviously Halloween, we feel we feel like we've got a purpose. And then this month, at the start, it was nice because it was like, oh, okay, rest, we don't have to film every day. And now I'm definitely back in the realm of, God, we need to start doing stuff. Mm. We need to start doing stuff. So I call the November slump. I've just had it very late this year. Yeah. And you stupid, you and Josh, with your illnesses. I've got streaming cold here. <laughs> yes. Uh. <laughs> Listen to the Patreon exclusive Night Shift would have heard that I was feeling very under the weather uh. last week. And now Rob's come back into a, a mist of disease. Yeah, it's great. I'm bloody very, very great. Um, it's all good. You've had an old... I gave you a little clementine. Yeah. Although, the whole vitamin C thing, bollocks. Really? Yeah, I read... I think we have a toilet book, don't we? Which is a thousand, like, truths that are oh, right. wrong. Things that are ever not... I looked at those books. Statements that are not true. Mm. Um, and I think one of the pages, it was, like, going on about vitamin C, the whole... That cures colds. It... Very, very slightly helps microscopically, but generally orange and... Look it up. I don't want to be spouting out health rubbish because this was just a toilet book. Vitamin D is the one, actually, isn't it? That's your immune system. Is it really? So Um, you're better off going for a walk than eating an orange in the sun. Or just being a carrot. Or just being a carrot. Yeah. Well done. Former President Trump. <laughs> That's how he's still going. That's why he's going to be president again. Anyway, what's going on in the show? Uh, so the show, um, so first of all, the, so the film we're going to review is called uh, Mary and Max. Um, I, I chose the word Max last week um, or last episode, so I had to choose a Max theme movie. I googled Max, to be honest. <laughs> Um, there's obviously all the Mad Maxes. We've already done a Mad Max. I almost chose Fury Road anyway because it's so damn good. Uh, there's Max Payne. I don't care about at all. Um, there's other Maxes. Joe, you know I'd have gone for what? I'd have chosen a boy and his dog. What's that about? That is about a boy and his dog in the post-apocalypse, and was the inspiration behind Mad Max. Ah. Oh, see so the, the little linky, linky link. Ah. Okay, that's clever. Well, that's what I'd have gone for. But regardless of that, when, what a wonderful film! Yeah, really heart, uh, heart-filled uh, Australian-American uh, stop-motion comedy drama film. Mm, so we'll be talking about that yeah. a little bit later. We've got the news as ever, and we've got some reviews coming as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Let's yeah. crack on. Let's crack on.
Adam's Film Reviews. Yes, God, yes, 2019. Everyone's been talking about you and Wade. They're saying you tossed a salad. I mean, I've never even heard of dressing someone salad. We were only gone for like a minute. Yeah, that's long enough for Wade. You are here as a part of God's plan. His spirit moved each of you to sign up for this retreat. Hi, Alice, right? Yeah, welcome. It's okay if you think things are totally weird. <laughs> I'm gonna need your cell phone and watch. You won't be needing a watch this weekend anyway because you're on Jesus's time. Alice, this retreat isn't going to do you any favors if you're not honest. So have you ever felt turned on? Written and directed by Katie Maine, Yes, God, Yes is a feature-length adaptation of Maine's 2017 short film of the same name. Set in the most Midwestern slice of America you could hope to imagine, Yes, God, Yes introduced us to Alice, played by Stranger Things' Natalia Dyer, a pupil at a mind-bogglingly zealous Catholic high school. Alice is often confronted with the sins of sexuality by her peers and teachers. Often told that sexual activity outside of the deliberate attempt to make children in a heterosexual marriage is a sin punishable by eternal damnation. Fun, but that hasn't stopped Alice, or more specifically her teenage hormones, from being curious. So curious, in fact, that when she accidentally finds herself in a sexual situation while on a AOL chat room, oh yeah, the film's set in the early noughties for some reason, while in a AOL chat room, Alice has sent images of a man and his wife having sex, the image of his hairy arms leaving quite the impression on her. Anyway, to alleviate her growing feelings of shame, Alice, along with her devout friend Laura, played by fellow Stranger Things alumni Francesca Real sign up to go on the school's Net Kirkus Retreat, a four-day getaway to encourage kids to walk the path of righteousness or something. This is a thinly veiled spin on the real-life Keros Retreat, where the pupils must hand in their phones and other distractions to fully contemplate God's role in their lives. On arrival at the retreat, Alice is immediately drawn to Chris, played by Wolfgang Novogratz. See, Chris is a classic all-American boy, a hunky, football-playing senior and retreat leader. Plus, he's got some hairy arms. I mean, really hairy arms. We also meet Nina, played by Alicia Bow, a popular and similarly charismatic senior and retreat leader. For the next four days, Alice pines after Chris while concealing her real feelings of, let's face it, unadulterated horniness and isolating herself and the rest of the group. One evening, having held onto her phone so she can play Snake, early noughties, Alice accidentally stumbles onto the vibration setting. Cue an awkward, extremely unerotic depiction of Alice trying to pleasure herself, until that is when she sees the crucifix hanging from her wall. And so the story goes on. When Alice's phone is discovered, she is punished with cleaning the shared areas, where she begins to see the cracks forming in the community. So as not to spoil anything, Nina... So as not to spoil anything, it turns out Nina has a mouthful and the priest, Father Murphy, played by the very well-cast Timothy Simons, has a bit of a handful. By the end, Alice is so completely disenfranchised with the whole thing that her shame and feelings of guilt force her to run away. Whereupon, she stumbles on a lesbian bar and gets some sage advice from an old biker who's seen it all. Yeah, didn't make that last part up. Yes, God, yes, has a lot to say, but... Frankly, I don't think it's said enough. The story's hinged on Natalia Dyer, who does an excellent job, but there just isn't enough depth in this world to really care about what's going on. It also toes the party line in having the Christian church depicted as just outright evil and corrupt, which may well be true, but at no point did the film attempt to legitimise why so many people were on board. Only the vague assertion that everyone was just going along for the ride. I don't know. Maybe my issue with the film is that it just didn't do enough to really sell the world it was built on. Maybe it was assuming that we all knew the world already. 
Some of us will, yeah, sure, but it wouldn't hurt to really spell it out. Instead, we're treated to a a rumour of Alice supposedly tossing a boy called Wade salad during a party? Why? We don't know who spread the rumour, we barely know who Wade is. And it doesn't serve the plot in any way except to guide Alice to the retreat, which she probably could have done anyway. It just felt like a weird distraction. Or worse still, a lame joke just spread out over two hours. If anything, the story would have been improved if Alice was a complete outsider, forced into this world. Maybe she's being punished, maybe she's on the run from some gangsters and goes into witness protection. Instead, Alice just sort of plays along. In any case, Yes God Yes is on Netflix, but there's way more interesting things out there to watch right now. I'd probably give them a go first. Everybody say Jesus Christ! Jesus Jesus Christ. Christ! Welcome to Fortnite Schmort Night. Christopher Columbus has revealed how he was afraid of getting the sack whilst working on Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Speaking to Collider, he said, The reality is, the pressure of the world was upon us, and on me particularly because I knew if I screwed this one up, it's all over. The first film was fraught with anxiety for me. The first two weeks, I thought I was going to get fired every day. Everything looked good. I just thought if I do one thing wrong, if I F up, I'm fired. And that was intense. I didn't let any of that show on set. There was no frustration. I'm not a screamer. I get along with everybody. And I want everybody to feel like they're part of the family. So I just had to hide that side of my emotions. So, is it... So, Christopher Columbus coming off the back of uh, writing Gremlins. um, Home Alone. Um, other stuff. Why is he coming up so much? He's having a heyday at the moment. <laughs> He's. It's like they. Everyone's interviewing him, and I don't know why. Is he about to die? Yeah, maybe. These all interviews have been saved up. Yeah. Um. But no, I was thinking about that. I was thinking, and it, it did actually make me think this about how, at that time, Harry Potter was absolutely like it was a monstrosity in terms of popularity. It was everywhere. It was like a plague. It was on the news all the time it was in newspapers the books were everywhere there was merch and to uh did the merch come later the merch it was like it, there was little bits and pieces yeah yeah and then it come came out in droves when the movies came out mm. um but yeah no it got, got me thinking to be put in charge of that at that time and for daniel radcliffe the actor who was a little kid and having to play a role that uh, the kid from Star Wars was going to play him and then Jake Rowling was like no um, <laughs> you're American get stuffed poor Jake Lloyd it was either that one or the Sixth Sense kid I can't remember I think it was I think it was Jake Lloyd but um, he went mad yeah um, but I think the first two Harry Potter movies are the worst ones and those are the two that he did so uh, so I heard someone staunchly defending the second one the other day uh, on it's a got stream. a big snake in it and the Quidditch match is cool Maybe that's it. Maybe it was the initial. Ooh, yeah, it was. It was scary. It was. It was probably the scariest one. Um, mm, they weren't. I remember the third one being because the third book is quite scary. With the Dementors. Yeah. Well, the books. The third one's where I remember thinking the film was worth watching. The books. I really hate the first thing. Um, I had to put down one night because of the snake because of the talking in the walls and it's a bit where they you just hear the snake in the walls. They don't know it's a snake yet. It's just saying kill, 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 and that's. Just, Freak me out, man. Let's put it down. Little, bo- little boy me. Little Pri- Rob. Little Robert. Little primary school Rob. Um, and, yeah, in other news, Christopher Columbus... What? Has- <laughs> um, has also gone into how Gremlins was originally intended to be a hard R movie. Oh, yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He first started writing it in his mouse-infested New York flat. So he said this. He said, I was thinking about these mice running around at night. They would scurry by my finger if my hand was hanging over the bed. It was really creeping me out, and that's how I came up with the idea of gremlins. So I wrote it as a straightforward... Oh my god, there's gremlins in my computer! What's happening? (laughs) Uh, So I wrote it as a straightforward horror film. Hard R, mum's head comes rolling down the stairs, Billy and Kate go into a McDonald's, and none of the food is eaten but all of the people are. <laughs> oh, that, that could have still so, been in there, surely. Been, yeah, that would have been brilliant. <laughs> um, eventually Spielberg got hold of the script, fell in love with it, but convinced him that he needed to reach a, a wider audience. Um, right decision or wrong decision? 
I think right. I think Spielberg was right. I feel like Gremlins in itself is a... Um, we wouldn't have had the same access as kids. I mean, we probably would have watched it anyway. But it was... Um, it's a fun movie, isn't it? I suppose... I suppose... If it went the hard R way, they probably wouldn't have had the budget to make the amazing Gremlins. Yeah. So it probably would have looked more like elves. Yeah. That's the sad. It would have gone straight fact. down into that sort of realm. Yeah. It would have gone into eighties VHS, best of the worst. Yeah. It would. Yeah. It wouldn't be any good. Um, but it's also it's already it's a it stands in a weird position because it is mostly family friendly. But it's. But they it's still a bit weird and there is a disconnect slightly in the first gremlins there's a bit of but there's some very like harsh slapstick violence like an old lady being shot out of a house from a oh yeah but she was horrible but but you got like the stuff when they're in the bar and they're all smoking and drinking shooting guns and yeah there's a bit of a tonal thing and that's that's probably where that comes from because the script is probably darker yeah than the director because obviously the second one's ridiculous they might have came to those Scenes and go. All right, what can we leave in? We can leave this in. We can leave the booze in. We can, we can, we're yeah. going to take out the part where the gremlin slashes someone's throat with a broken beer bottle. But, but we can keep the flasher. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, yeah, it's it's, it's cool. Um, still some uh, more fresh rumblings of a gremlins free. <laughs> but so I just remember my favourite line in Gremlins. But most people are at home opening their presents. Some are opening their wrists. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And the whole reason why she hates Christmas. Wow. Do you remember the book? Yeah, I do, I do, I do. And, <laughs> it's then they, and then they mock it in the second one beautifully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this next piece of news has made me quite angry. I can see why it's been considered now that uh, coronavirus has destroyed the cinema industry, but mm. it's sad. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong may go straight to streaming. Um, fans aren't happy. Apparently Netflix made a bid on a blockbuster, but Warner Media said no and planned to release the movie to HBO Max. Uh, so on MovieWeb, there's some tweets. Clint of Twitter. Um, Jesus, the theatre industry is taking hit after hit after, and uh, the movie's going to streaming. I can't see this being good for any of them in the long run. This news makes me sad. There's loads of people saying stuff like that. I'm kind of inclined to agree. Like In terms of cinematic bouts... You don't get bigger than Godzilla versus King Kong. If yeah. there's a movie that you think that's surely coming out in the cinema, it's a freaking massive monster movie like that. And when you the last Godzilla film, which I really liked, but there wasn't much to it apart from the big fighting monsters. Yeah. And that doesn't translate to small screen. No. So what's left? Yeah. Sort of boring character stuff. I mean, there was an article on BBC News similar about is the era of Hollywood blockbuster over um, quoting James Bond Wonder Woman it's just like yeah we might be seeing the end of beginning of the end yeah well it might be past the beginning it's very very sad and um, I, I I really hope they don't I feel like it's in terms of Warner Media in terms of everyone who's doing this making this decision they're turning their backs on cinema for the safety of getting that 200 million dollars from netflix or whatever however much it costs it's sad yeah and i um well it makes you wonder like the timing of it was avengers the last big blockbuster yeah i kind of wish i wish you could get like uh people to boycott these streaming services just to well it's funny you mentioned netflix netflix isn't having a good time is it why can we have godzilla versus kong no. No. <laughs> <laughs> We've got our own one, thank you very much. Well, the thing is, is, HBO Max at the moment is still exclusively in America, isn't it? So uh, how do we? How are we? Well, on, are we just going to get it on the naughty? We'd probably get it on Netflix anyway. Yeah. UK Netflix seems to get all the like. Um, I don't watch it, but uh, Star Trek Discovery, <laughs> CBS <laughs> All Access in America. Yeah. Suck fest, disuckery. <laughs> um, Onto some TV news now, and something Whovians the world over will be pretty chuffed about. John Barrowman is returning as Captain Jack Hartness for the Doctor Who festive special, Revolution of the Daleks. That's right, guys. Those nasty tin Daleks are back again for another fight to the death. I wish I could swear on this podcast, because I hate Captain Jack. 
Oh, do you? Yes, and I lied too for a long time. Putting on Jack's coat and setting foot back on the set of Doctor Who was just like coming back home. It's always thrilling to play Captain Jack. He's a character very close to my heart who changed my life. And do the fans love him as much as I do? His return even sweeter. I hope everyone enjoys Jack. That's him telling uh, you, his biggest fan, how much he loves you. And he well, I'm not going to watch it. Kind of, I, I think Doctor Who sucks now, anyway. And I'm, it's not because there's a woman. Are you sure? It's not. I think it sucked before. I think they had, uh, what's his freaking name from... Uh, they wasted Peter, Peter Capaldi. Um, the, it was awful, but he was great. He, was, he should have been one of the best doctors of all time. I've seen a bit. I've seen rubbish. a bit of her series. It's not bad. Mm. The writing's weird, though. It's just really wishy-washy. Yeah, it's I, really I, like. And she, the character of the Doctor has become increasingly shouty and annoying. Mm. Like it's not. It's not the performance. It's not the actor's problem. It's. It's just the character's a bit overbearing now. Mm. You look back at even Tennant, which was the start of that. He still had these quiet moments of reflection and stuff. Yeah, Matt Smith is is my new Doctor. Matt Smith was the one. Oh, you like him? I've, he's the best. Really? I like the stories. They're really, really the time travel, um, the Impossible Astronaut. That's the best time travel story I've ever read. Seen? Oh uh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, and that's the only time I really can think of when Doctor Who did time. Yeah. Rather than just turning up in time. Yeah, true, true, true. Oh uh, well, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it makes no difference to me. Something to watch on Christmas, I suppose. If we're not all dead by then, my... if we're not infecting our families. Yeah. Uh, genuinely, my backup plan is looking more and more appealing. Staying in a flat and drinking port. Drinking port and watching all of Indiana Jones. I mean, mince pies. Starting with the fourth one and making your way back. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Things can only get better. <laughs> so concludes Fortnite Schmore Night. Next game reviews. Control. Few developers are held in the same high regard as Remedy. Even their worst games, Quantum Break for example, are still considered good games. They operate under a similar mantra to the likes of Rockstar, quality, not quantity. So, whenever Remedy announce a new game, what follows is hype. When Remedy announce a new game that could so easily drop into the same universe as Alan Wake, what follows is extreme levels of hype. This is what happened with Control. So, did it deliver on the hype? Well, it depends who you ask. Control is a third-person action-adventure game based around the central character of Jesse, a civilian from a little town called Ordinary that, as a child, was caught up in a paranormal event that took her entire family from her, and she wants answers. The entire game is set in the Federal Bureau of Control, the headquarters for the branch of the United States government that investigates paranormal events. You begin the game in the entrance foyer for the FBC, as Jesse first arrives, and it's your mission to discover what happened to her family. But, of course, it's not going to be that easy. When it comes to the minute-to-minute -minute gameplay, Control is a strange combination of Remedy's three biggest franchises to date, Max Payne, Alan Wake and Quantum Break. The big or small action sequences of Max Payne, the puzzle solving of Alan Wake, as well as the sudden panic-inducing boss battles that require more than just shooting the enemy's face off, and the Jedi-like combat abilities and powers that brought the only bits of fun to Quantum Break. Personally, I thought that the combat was done expertly. The only major issue I had was around the forced platforming, sometimes in the middle of a battle, that repeatedly resulted in me frantically hitting the double jump and boost buttons as I clung on to the useless hope that I would ever be able to avoid plummeting to my death. Platforming is a perfectly good feature to include in many games, but similar to my thoughts around Doom Eternal, there is a time and a place for it. Platforming aside, the mixture of powers, shooting and brain thinking can lead to some really exceptional combat sequences. They go a hell of a way to making you feel super powerful, but they also force you to work for this. The powers are not given to you straight away, you have to hunt down objects of power throughout the bureau, complete epic battles and then small training exercises each time you find one to gain that power. Whether it be the ability to levitate or the ever useful skill that allows you to lob objects right at an enemy's face. The button mapping for these powers is so intuitive that often you wouldn't even need the training exercises, you just kind of know what to do. Moving on to the story, and this is where, for me, Control excels. 
I completely understand the criticism many gave to the story, with its nonsensical plot points and confusing monologues that Jesse, your main character, would blather on with as you discover certain areas or objects. But this game is hugely influenced by Twin Peaks and X-Files. If you are a fan of these two shows, then you will absolutely love Control. If you've ever watched Twin Peaks and thought, what the hell is this rubbish? Then, well, perhaps you should avoid this game. It's supposed to be abstract, it's supposed to be confusing, you kind of just have to go with it. It's difficult to talk too much about the story without spoiling it, but let's just say the payoff is well worth it, even more so if you invest in DLC. Plus the game is full of one of my favourite things in a game, lore. Yes, there is lore everywhere. There are hundreds of little memos, emails and reports dotted around the Bureau that I spent hours reading. You get to find out so much about each department, each object of power, each character. There's a number of characters that you never actually meet in the game, but you feel like you know them better than even Jessie herself. Graphically, this game is hands down the best looking game on the previous generation of consoles. If you've just picked up an Xbox Series X or PS5, then it may be worth waiting for the release of the Definitive Edition. There's talk that it will include ray tracing, and I've seen the videos of Control being run on PC with ray tracing enabled. Just check it out, it's incredible. Overall, Control is a masterpiece. It combines everything that Remedy has done well with all of their previous games and bundles it together in an epic story and exceptional minute-to-minute gameplay. What small frustrations there are don't do anywhere near enough to even make a dent in my appreciation for this game. But this game is definitely not for everyone. Mary Dinkle's eyes were the colour of muddy puddles. Her only friends were the Noblis from her favourite cartoon. She wished she had some friends. Mary had an idea. Dear Mr. Horowitz, I am eight years old. I have a rooster called Ethel. It would be great if you could write back and be my friend. Dear Mary, thank you for the letter. I have never met anyone from Australia. I share my home with a fish, a parakeet, an invisible friend called Mr. Ravioli. People often confuse me. I have trouble understanding them. Maybe this is why I don't have any friends. Dear Max, in your letter you said you had no friends. Neither do I. Can you help me? Rob. Uh, oh dear. I'm, uh, I'm here. I'm in the back in the room. Back in the room. <laughs> so you chose the word randomly, Max. Max. So the film is Mary and Max. Um, it's directed by Adam Elliott. It's a 2009 Australian-American film. It has uh, Eric Banner. It has Tony Collette. Uh, it has Philip Seymour Hoffman playing um, Max. Uh, Tony Collette plays Mary. Um, so it's a it's a pen pal story, um, and the the titular characters are um, an eight year old girl with a birthmark on her head, and um, an old man who's struggles mentally in life and we don't at the start know what quite's wrong with him but he's a lonely old man he lives alone he's in his 40 or 30s at that point or late 40s i don't know he lives in a flat on his own in new york um his only sort of companions are his pets he's got a goldfish which dies on repeat so he has henry the eighth henry the ninth henry the tenth um he's got parrots and he's got um snails hmm named after his favorite scientists yeah, yeah. This is a guy. Max is a guy who favors the science. He still wears a yarmulke because it keeps his brain warm. Yeah, but he's otherwise turned his back on his uh, Jewish heritage. He's a, a philosopher at heart. He reads lots of sci-fi, um, science, and very quickly, I managed to call. What was wrong with him? You diagnosed him. I diagnosed him, and I was. Swiftly found correct. Yes, Max has Asperger's syndrome. Although the film's set in the 70s, so Asperger's wasn't really a known thing then. But no. regardless of that, the, the, the symptoms were there. Whereas Mary's, uh, um, they have a similar experience in life, although very opposite. Yeah, She's bullied and lonely. They're outcasts and they don't have a place in the world. And they yes. struggle. Um, and the this sort of feeling is supported by the general uh the look of the film and the feel like it's a 
a very grey stop motion film. It's not bright. It's very dim and sort of bleak. Well, it's quite clever with it because the the initial scenes, the film opens in Australia uh, with Mary's upbringing, um, kind of rural Melbourne, small town suburbs. Um, but it is moderately colour colourful. It's kind of colourful in a realistic way. It's not bright and neon. Um, but when we when we cut to New York with Max, it's it's noir, black and white, almost Sin City like. Yeah, darkness. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it still has like that um, grim hint of kind of. I mean, especially Vera, uh, Mary's mum, that kind of timber and evil character, that shrewd witchy look is kind of there. Um, oh, she just reminded me straight up of. Uh... Nora, what a similar name in uh, in 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 Brain Dead. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. To Mary, Vera always seemed wobbly. Vera liked listening to the cricket while baking, and her main ingredient was always sherry. She told Mary it was a type of tea for grown-ups that needed constant testing. There must be a certain Australian cliche of the sort of middle wannabe upper class woman who dresses like a 1940s film star even though they're old and haggard and crone like drinks sherry all day and smokes 50 a day yeah it's uh and also uh is a massive shoplifter kleptomaniac yeah. yeah This is that so like um, Mary's life is all she has very kind of limited awareness of what life is supposed to be like. She's confused about everything. She's confused about sex. Um, she's confused about why her mum ha- like just uh, makes up lies about why she's shoving various groceries mm. up her dress to to steal stuff. Nothing makes sense to her, and um, less so when she goes to school and she's bullied. And uh, obviously, from uh, Max's point of view. Um, he hates sort of venturing out into the world unless he's got his protection and his system in place where he's got earplugs on in and nose plugs in so he can block out all the senses around him that he hates, the smells of New York. And- We're very, the first thing we kind of find out about him is that he hates people littering. Mm. There's someone in a bus shelter smoking a cigarette, dropping a cigarette, and he's picking them up. Yeah, he's got his own can to yeah. pick them up. Um, and he's like just like repeats the phrase, I don't understand people. Mm. Um, I don't like them. I don't, you know, I barely look at them. Um, the setup's quite sad. So not only is Mary's mum just screwed up as well as now the her dad refuses to spend any time with them. He just spends his time in the shed stuffing birds. Mm. Um, it's also quite sad that Max's setup is so like shabby and dilapidated and and poor. He's got nothing really there. Um, but there is also a sort of childlike innocence at, at the beginning, especially. It's kind of uplifting to see Mary make the decision to start writing to someone in America because she wants to find out if babies are born by being found at the bottom of a beer glass like they are in Australia. Because her uncle mentioned it off the cuff one day and she <laughs> yeah. it was cemented into her head. So she just randomly picks a name out of the phone book, uh, New York phone book, and finds Max um, and sends him a letter. Dear Mr. M. Horowitz, my name is Mary Daisy Dinkle, and I am eight years old, three months and nine days. My favourite colour is brown, and my favourite food is sweetened condensed milk, followed closely by chocolate. I have a rooster called Ethel that looks like this. He doesn't lay eggs, but will one day. My mother likes smoking, cricket, and sherry. And my father likes playing in his shed with dead birds. Where do babies come from in America? Do they come from cola cans? In Australia, they are found in beer glasses. Here is a drawing of me. I can't draw ears proper, but I'm good at teeth. It would be great if you could write back and be my friend. Yours sincerely... Mary Daisy Dinkle. And it's all quite sweet and quite innocent. Um, but we're kind of dragged into reality when Max picks it up. And the first thing 
that happens. He has an anxiety attack. Yeah. Uh, because he's suddenly confronted by this new thing, this change yeah, in his the, routine. The system's not in place anymore. Something, An, an alien has invaded his mm. system. And it only gets worse when she is very curious and she asks lots of questions. And she, she talks about sex, which feels weird in a kind of kid's story kind of way. But actually in life, it's pretty normal. Yeah. Oh, definitely. definitely. Um, it feels weird on paper that an eight-year-old girl would ask you um, a forty-something-year-old guy uh, about sex, but I feel like that there's a sort of anonymity, definitely, and innocence to that that works in this film. The the innocence is ongoing because the, the as far as she's concerned, that there's sin and well, not sin, but there's kind of. There's adult stuff happening around her, but she can't give it context. When there's two dogs humping in the street, yeah, they're just playing and jumping on top of each other. She doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, the when Vera talks about how her relationship with Sherry and how it, she needs to test it, yeah, um, that's not. She can't link that to alcoholism, so it is from a place of innocence, and dis- and through that it works, and it's it's fine. Yeah, it's good. Um, of course, Max is. Uh criminally underprepared for these sort of questions as he's someone who doesn't not only hasn't experienced this but doesn't understand when it is in front of him mm. he mentions that he goes to fat anonymous yeah overeaters anonymous overeaters anonymous sounds about right yeah, yeah and there's a and there's a woman there who who likes him and kisses him and he just doesn't respond He'd found the night even more unbearable because of Marjorie Butterworth's strange glances. Max had trouble understanding non-verbal signals. Flirting was as foreign to him as jogging. Max found most people very confusing. Yeah, he essentially sexually harasses him. Um, yeah, he, well, quite, yeah, it's quite awful, really. Um, and he and he has and he gets stuck with her in the lift at one point, and he's just trying to escape back to his flat to avoid her. One time, he rubs onions in his armpits just to keep her away. <laughs> he's that scared. Um, this film, um, I mean, I think everything we've said so far paints it as quite bleak, but in times, it's absolutely hilarious. It's like, got, there's some real highlights to it that really made us laugh out loud i mean it, it, most of it was visual gags yeah she has an agoraphobic neighbor uh, len who rarely ventures any further than well, his she door. she thinks that he's got homophobia yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> it can continuously describes him as having homophobia and he uh <laughs> uh different things happen like at one point he's like peering outside of the house and a van inexplicably smashes into his garden well, it builds up doesn't it because it starts off with a dog yeah just running at him <laughs> and then just, the, by the end it's a, a nice cream van veering into his front door uh, it's it is funny and there are there are also gags around misunderstandings that work quite well um but while it is very funny it does have some of the darkest scenes. Oh, what ra- what rating is this film? I think because... it was a PG. I'm pretty sure it was a PG. I think it said somewhere at the start it was for everyone. Um, oh my god! There's one scene. I won't spoil it. Yeah, but it's so dark. And it's so, so dark, and it just progressively got worse. Because I remember, I think they even said like, "Oh no, where's this going? Mm. Oh no!" And it went worse and worse and worse. Um, but in with that in mind, do you think this film can be helpful to people who are lonely, or especially to people who maybe know people who have something like Asperger's? Well, I tell you what, it brings. There's a very interesting bit where Max opens up. This is a <laughs> this is one funny bit. After he freaks out about some sex questions, he then spends eight months institutionalized, um, wins the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> And then gets arrested for no. What, what's the third thing that happens to him? Uh, he put he his vents f- snapped off from oh. his flat and crushed a mine. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and he gets uh, manslaughter charges put on him. But in that time, oh, he mentioned he writes a letter and he opens up and he says about um, that he has Asperger's 
and doesn't like the fact his therapist says they can cure him. Dear Mary Daisy Dinkle, there is something I have to tell you, which will explain why I have not written. Each time I received one of your letters, I had a severe anxiety attack. This is because recently, while I was in a mental institution, they diagnosed that I have a new thing called Asperger's syndrome, which is a neurobiological pervasive developmental disability. I prefer Aspie for short. I will now list some of the traits of an Aspie. Number one, I find the world very confusing and chaotic because my mind is very literal and logical. Two, I have trouble understanding the expressions on people's faces. When I was younger, I made a book to help me when I was confused. I still have trouble with some people. Ivy was hard to understand because of her wrinkles and because her eyebrows weren't real. Three, I have bad handwriting. I'm hypersensitive, <laughs> clumsy. I can get very concerned. Four, I like solving problems. Ivy said this is a good thing. And finally, number five, I have trouble expressing my emotions. Dr. Bernard Hasselhoff says my brain is defective, but one day there will be a cure for my disability. I do not like it when he says this. I do not feel disabled, defective, or a need to be cured. I like being an Aspie. It would be like trying to change the color of my eyes. Yes. And he's very adamant that he doesn't see that. He doesn't feel like it's something that can be cured. And that struck a chord because I've heard that in, in life. People saying that. It's not it's not a limp that you can fix. No. With posture correcting shoes. It's it's uh, it, he, there's a line about um you can't change that about him. It's it's like having a different eye colour. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um uh, which is reflected in Mary's path because she by learning about Max, she decides to go into um psychology and therapy and stuff herself at uni because this is this film is a long long old period i'd say it's probably it's over tw- about 20 30 years yes yeah, 20 years yeah, yeah um just over here. and uh the first thing she wants to do is cure him yeah and writes this this uh massive study about a, asperger's a lauded and... study a praise study by um a sort of scientists and professionals around australia that they say it's amazing it's getting published mm. and and without telling him he, she puts his picture on the front mm. and he responds badly yeah it breaks and, him and it's that feel felt very real and that almost to the point where that felt like that was the thesis of the film yeah yeah no definitely it may it, it, it to me it pointed out that if you've got uh like someone like that what he has missing in his life isn't an imbalance to be changed. It's someone to. It's the loneliness that needs to be cured, not him and himself. Yeah, and and reaching out to these people because he he does talk about that. I mean, it's a very sweet bit towards the end, but he he points out that Mary's his best friend, mm. even though they've never met. Um, and that and so everything he in his life is fine, but now he has a friend and it's better. Yeah. So it doesn't matter that he can't interact with people. It doesn't matter that... Well, he does sort of say that he wishes he could love and stuff like that. But it's uh, it's more about that kind of reaching out to people rather than changing them and making them part of what you think is life. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's pr- this film shows someone whose life is 
been made extremely uncomfortable, like he's been constricted and um, just can't handle it at all when people do try and help him, so to speak. Mm. Um, so yeah, like there's also on the other side. I mean, Mary has a a very up and down life. Some of it, sometimes it feels a bit too cruel. I thought the film, mm. but Mary's path reminds me of um, kind of whatever works film by Woody Allen where it's kind of like it's just an endless cycle of bad relationships but it's not about ending up with the perfect person it's about using your time to find happiness Mm. and when it stops being happy to move on and find the next happiness yeah and there's an element of that in Mary's story I think because it's quite bleak and then it then it's positive then it's bleak and then it's really positive and everything's great and then it crumbles, it's dragged away from her. And then it ends quite well. But that's just the beginning, that's not the ending, that's the beginning of another chapter. It's very interesting how, yeah, that's absolutely right. And it's interesting how intertwined they are. Like at different stages in the film, both of them ruin the other person's life for a short time. Yeah. But then both of them at the same time will lift each other up and save each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's uh, obviously with Mary sending the book, that breaks max max's response sending the m from his typewriter that is what sends mary into her massive pit of despair um so yeah it's a really interesting film in which to like see the journey of their friendship and what what happens i mean you could argue that is what friendship is i mean i find there's a there's a weird barrier so this is a i would say mostly australian film Mm. um and there's an interesting link between Australian and English culture, which is absent in America, um, which is that friends don't necessarily like each other all the time. Mm. That friends aren't friends aren't two people in a room complimenting each other. No. In English and Australian culture, friends are the person you sit next to and tease. Yeah. Because because you're comfortable with them and because you you're there to kind of have fun with each other you're going to be polite to people you don't know Mm. which is completely different to american culture and what what's present in this throughout is that yeah there's this undying friendship between mary and matt's even though they've ruined each other's lives yeah 100 percent. and that's if anything made the bond stronger so yeah so and just to quickly mention the uh the performances like philip seymour hoffman huge huge talent uh he was so um believable as max it made that character really really solid um and and uh tony collette as mary yeah they, um, the the performances are a bit stunted in this film slightly because it's mostly narration mm. but you do get a good sense uh, philip seymour hoffman is probably the runaway yeah person in this because you get much more from max than you do with mary yeah 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 um also worth noting barry humphrey's who played Dame Edna Everidge, uh, is the narrator. If we could hear him. Well, that's the other thing. I was going to mention this at the top of the uh, discussion. Uh, we watched this on Amazon Prime, Prime Video, and it was a nightmare. Like, you played with the settings. We thought we had something wrong going. Like, it was... The music and the sound was loud, but the narration was like... The sound mixing was absolute was awful. So... The sound effects were really loud. The music, and by the way, the music was rubbish in this film, I thought. Just that, it was good except for that bam, 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 Wishy-washy. It was so BBC library music. Yeah. It would have been better if it was original, or even, like, the stuff we use, the uh, royalty-free stuff. At least then you can sort of choose different things. Anyway, anyway. You compared it to, like, a bank advert or something, didn't you? From, like, the mid-noughties. I don't know. It's uh, uh, but yeah, the the sound mix was awful. The music too loud, sound effects too loud, uh, and the narration and voiceover were really quiet. I don't know whether that's the film or whether that's Amazon. Mm. It's hard to tell because it. I fiddled all the settings of my TV. It wasn't that. It was the recording. So if you are going to watch this film, go away and watch this on Prime. Bear that in mind. If you, I wonder if it's worth seeing if you can get it on DVD. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's, it's perfectly watchable. You'll get through it, but it will. It, it did annoy us. It did. It it does detract from your attention. And like, I had to keep 
turning it up and down because there were some bits that are really loud. Yeah. And I was like, oh, God. Um, but yeah, I mean, this this is a really eye-opening, interesting film. Yeah, definitely. That um, I'd never heard of. Mm. It, apparently, it's it's in the top... It's in the IMDb top 250 films, and it's one of the only ones on there that hasn't been released in cinemas. It's on the top 250? Is yeah, it really? Apparently. Oh, wow. Um it's de- it's definitely worth watching if you want another sort of insight and a perspective towards mental health as well. Um, yeah, it's um, it's great, really, really uh, good film. So, would you put this in the Hall of Fame? Um, I wouldn't. Uh, it's not uh, a Hollow Dell Media movie. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's like something. And by that, I mean it's not something that um, f- would thrill us and. Be like, oh wow, we, this is exactly our thing because like, it's not our thing. So I wouldn't put it in our hall of fame. No, I wouldn't either. And I think um, it, uh, while it was a very good watch, it's probably not one I watch again. No, done now. Yeah, it reminded me in many ways of um, early noughties BBC films you used to see. Like, what was the one of the cavemen? God knows. A little bit gross, like Grogs, I think it was called. Uh, and there were big bogeys coming out and stuff like that. It was oh. Not quite that level, but it was going that way. Eh. Eh. It's very sweet. It's a bit cruel. Uh, but, yeah. Definitely watch it. Yeah, watch it. Definitely watch it. Not going in the Hall of Fame. Mm. Okay. Sounds good. Dear Mary Daisy Dinkle, thank you for the letter, which I opened and read at 9.17pm after my Overeaters Anonymous class. I am trying to lose weight because my psychiatrist, Dr. Bernard Hasselhoff, says a healthy body equals a healthy mind. Ooh. He says my mind is not that healthy. Your drawing is an interesting visual portrayal of yourself. I have never met anyone from Australia. Firstly, I will answer your question. Unfortunately... In America, babies are not found in cola cans. I asked my mother when I was four, and she said they came from eggs laid by rabbis. If you aren't Jewish, they're laid by Catholic nuns. If you're an atheist, they're laid by dirty, lonely prostitutes. So this is where babies come from in America. Adam's Film Reviews, Arkansas 2020. Cause everything that glitters is not gold. Come on back with the Gatlins. A lot of people don't know about organized crime in the South. It's that it's not that organized. What's with the cones? I thought the randomness of it might throw off a cop. I guess that's smart. I'm near the bottom rung of an outfit run by a man I've never met before. A man named Frog. I'm the boss. You may never refuse an order, and you may never quit. Pat Bright, park ranger. I'm with Frog. I've been ordered to intervene. Do not socialize with the locals. Do not draw attention to yourself. This is creepy. Do you like creepy? You decide to run off, I will hunt you down, and I'll kill you. Are you going to die? Most likely. Would either of you boys like to call me sir? You can if you want. I won't think it's corny. We're going to go traffic drugs across state lines, sir. If you boys catch yourselves starting to complain about boredom, just remember it's a bored criminal is a good criminal. Is this an order from Frog? We've been thinking about streamlining. You can't do that. We do a whole bunch we're not supposed to do. Frog don't seem to mind. It's better to have to look for something to do than have something to do look for you. You expecting somebody? You know what's funny? You boys are here just hanging out. Written, directed and starring Clark Duke, Arkansas was a film that didn't see full theatrical release thanks to Rona. Instead, it was released on demand, finally winding its way onto Netflix. Described as a neo-noir crime thriller, Arkansas tickles the Fargo nostalgia bone right from the opening logo. Except, naturally, a bit more southern. Split into five titled chapters, Arkansas opens with Kyle Ribb played by Liam Hemsworth, a low-level nihilistic drug runner being promoted to a new role. 
moving up the ladder of the extremely loose and unimaginative drug cartel run by the man known only as Frog. Kyle's new role involves moving drugs across Arkansas, dropping off large packages and picking up the cash without being noticed. Soon, he partners with Swin Horn, played by Clark Duke, and the two are slow to warm to one another. See, as Swin points out, Kyle is your strong, silent type. Handsome, tough, but not much of a planner. Swin, on the other hand, is a sardonic, wisecracking know-it-all, complete with neon Hawaiian shirts, a horrible, trendy moustache, and a different pro wrestling shirt for every day of the week. While on the road, the pair stumble into Ranger Bright, played by the wonderful John Malkovich. Bright is the next level up in the crime chain and gives Kyle and Swin a cover in his local park. Posing as junior park rangers by day, Swin and Kyle while away their days until Bright is given a call from a mysterious woman, known only as her, and the boys are sent to pick up a package and deliver it to its destination somewhere in the south. That is, until a drug delivery goes wrong and the boys are tailed back from a drop-off leaving Bright the target of an unhappy customer. Which, by the way, has one of the worst line deliveries I've ever heard by John Malkovich. I don't think I've ever heard a victim of gangland torture say, Oh, so you were serious? But anyway. Left without a boss, Swin and Kyle are left directionless and soon begin to wonder what to do next. Swin soon turns his eye on a local girl, Jonna, played by Eden Brolin, and Kyle plays along, defending the group from outsiders as best he can. But as the boys continue to intimidate people around him, and as their stash of cash grows ever larger, soon they risk confronting the one man they weren't even sure existed in the first place. The mysterious frog. Played to perfection by Vince Vaughn. No, that isn't a spoiler. He's on the poster. You know what? I really enjoyed Arkansas. Yeah, as mentioned, it is a little derivative. There are definitely many, many shades of Fargo in this film. Hell, even the title feels like a tribute to the Coen brothers. But what I enjoyed about this film is the laid-back, slacker-like approach to the world of crime. There's no glitz, no glamour, no big plan in our common criminals. In fact, the cinematography, such as it is, feels so mundane and down-to-earth that for much of the film, especially in the first half, it almost feels like a documentary. The lights are a little bit too harsh, the angles are basic, but it genuinely works. Small moments like awkward conversation between Kyle, Swin and later Jonna feel fresh and real while the looming threat of Frog and his associates feels appropriately unplanned and brutal. The characters in Arkansas really shine and you do get the impression you can just plonk them in a situation and the characters themselves will feel out the plot. In many ways that's what the whole story is. A bunch of characters just feeling things out. But while this is all well and good there is a sense of lacking direction in the film. Probably contributing to the near two hour runtime, which in of itself isn't a bad thing but it can feel like you just want them to get to the point. The point. Was there a point? Not really. Only maybe that you should probably not expect everything to just work out in the end. Maybe that's the point, because frankly, it seldom does. Honestly, check out Arkansas on Netflix if you want to change to the pulse-pounding crime thrillers of John Wick, and instead fancy something a little bit more country. Say thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Welcome. Should we go? Or... Yeah. yeah. Okay. Rated R. Well, that was the show. That was the show. Just a little one uh, this week, because uh, obviously next month is the festive to be jollies and all sorts of things. Yes, we're now in the last few minutes before you can officially celebrate Christmas as far as I'm concerned. How exciting. How exciting indeed. Um, we're going to be doing some f- a thing in Christmas. We haven't worked out what yet. You don't know what. Come on, we're out of our comfort zone. There's no vampires, there's no werewolves, it's bad. <laughs> so we're going to have to do what we can do. 
We might end up walking around the woods with a camera. But, you know, it's our natural habitat, right? Yeah. I just had an idea. I'll tell you when we're finished. Right, oh, anyway. beautiful. <laughs> uh, so, what are we doing about the next film? Because the next show won't be Christmas yet, but it will be December. Yeah. So, should I choose a random word now and try and link it to Christmas? Or should we just go ahead and choose two classics like we normally do in, in October? I reckon we should choose two classics, I think. So we want to do two festive Okay. Yeah. Okay. You can if you want. I mean, don't let me stop you. Well, that said, I've got the I've got the Christmas pick this year, haven't I? So you'd be you picking again. So we might as well, yeah. Okay. Let's choose two. One semi-classic, one classic. All right. Cool. All right. As long as we all know. We're all on the same page. We're all on the same pud. <laughs> oh. Wow. So if you like what you hear... Uh, and you want to support us in the future, then do check us out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash hollowdellmedia. Um, and do follow us on Twitter and Instagram at hollowdellmedia. Yes, please do. Um, our YouTube account is bristling with loads of goodness. Obviously, last month we did, uh, or two months ago almost now, we started our second bout of 31 Days of Horror. Um, we've, I don't know if you mentioned it before, but you've put up the whole 31 haven't you oh yeah the compilation's up the compilation's uh, up do check it out very, surprisingly popular yes done very well uh yes check it out there we will be producing more content in the new year obviously rona's happened and that's pushed back most of our plans mm. and it's very annoying but apart from that it's all good yeah and there'll be some new exciting things coming soon so do follow us on social media uh to find out more yeah until then Good day. Good day. Good day.